about baptism. And so we practice here at the Vineyard what is called adult immersion baptism. Uh, what does that simply mean? It simply means we wait for our, our children to be old enough to make the decision themselves uh, concerning the relationship with Jesus. That they can say themselves, yes, I want to receive Jesus Christ myself and for myself. Because uh, it's that important. Uh, scripture actually says, count the cost before you do such a thing. What it means by that is there's such value in it, you see. That, but it means what? He gave us his entire life. Jesus gave us his life on the cross. And what we are doing in return is we're giving him our life in return. And so we taught practice not only adult, but no, an adult can make that decision. Uh, and so also we practice what's not called immersion baptism. And so we have a baptismal here. And the reason why we do that is because actually in the scriptures, the only baptisms you see, the only baptisms you see in the scriptures are uh, people being immersed uh, in water. And really, when you think of the word itself, baptized, to be baptized, actually it was taken from, uh, it's actually a secular word in that day, uh, it was used by people to describe how they dyed clothes. So in other words, I have a, I don't know what color this is. What color is this? Blue or gray? Whatever this is. You guys tell me, huh? Blue, okay. Blue to you. Gray to you. Okay, blue. Okay. And so anyway, uh, you didn't, when they went to go make a shirt, they didn't go out into, look for a lamb out in the field, look for a blue lamb. Let me find a blue lamb and I'll make a blue shirt. They didn't do that. Of course, all the lambs out in the field were opaque. Yeah, and so what they did was they, when they, they sheared the lamb, and then they would do is they'd make a shirt out of it. And what they would do is then they'd take water, and they'd put dye, a blue dye, into the water because they want to make a blue shirt. And so what they would do is they would baptizo, and that was the word, they would baptizo the, the shirt into the blue dyed water. And so they got a blue shirt. And so uh, now the shirt and the color... You can't get the color out of the shirt, and you can't get the shirt out of the color. You, they're one, right? So in other words, to me, to get the color out of this shirt, I'd have to destroy the shirt to do it, you see? They become one. They are identified, you see, with one another. And that's the word they wanted to use in this relationship with Jesus. Coming into this, we are now identified with him. Matter of fact, you can't, we, we are inseparable. When you look at me, you're seeing a person who is in relationship with Jesus. You see, you see Jesus, you see me. Me and Jesus, we're one, as, as the scripture says. You see, to that extent, it's new identity in terms of who I am. And that's why we, use, that's why we practice immersion baptism as an adult. Matter of fact, Jesus was baptized. He was 30 years old when he got baptized. And also in scripture, actually, it says something very distinct in scripture. It actually calls Jesus the bridegroom. He's called the bridegroom in Scripture. And we who are his um, church, if you will, those who are of faith in Jesus, those who have given our lives to Jesus in this sense, uh, are called his bride. And just like really when you think about a, um, uh, in, in reality for ourselves, uh, you know, who can make that decision in terms of they want to be married or not? Somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, would you marry me? You say, You've got to be able to say, hmm, do I want to marry this person or not? Is this the person I want to give my life to for forever? For forever? An adult makes that decision. But you have to say to yourself, yes, I want to give you my life. Jesus, I do, is the cross. 
He says, guess what? I'm giving you my life. Now he asks us, will you give me yours? We could say yes. We could say no thanks. You see? But today, but just like when, however, just like any relationship, though, what happens? Two people, they meet each other, and they say, will you marry me? And the other person says, okay, I'll marry you. <laughs> and though they've committed themselves to each other, right? And then they have the wedding afterwards, right? So in other words, they say, hey, will you marry us? They've committed themselves to one another. And then after that, they have a wedding ceremony. Well, just in this relationship, two people, Jesus saying, will you take me? I'm taking you. And now destiny saying, yes, I want to take you too. They did that a while ago, right? And now we're having the ceremony. We're having the ceremony of that commitment between Jesus and destiny, you see? And, uh, and I can't be more excited than to do this baptism, I have to be honest. I can see a bunch of friends and family here, too, are very excited as well, destiny. Right? And um, because we know, or many of us know, heck, we didn't know if destiny was going to be here today, right? Make it to this day. Yeah, but God, uh, who knows all things and out of the goodness of his heart, here we are together, right, honey? You got that right. And, um, and so we are excited. So anyway, without any further comment by me, why don't we have Destiny come on up here. And uh, everybody who doesn't know Destiny, here's Destiny. And, uh, and uh, I couldn't, like I said, can't be more excited and actually be up here with her actually doing this right now. And, uh, and why did you want to be baptized today, Destiny? Let me know. Let's go. I, I decided to be baptized today because God saved my life. From when I got, I, I got into a bad accident last August and uh, um, I... I, I really died, but paramedic brought me back to life. So I decided I would get, get baptized now. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's outstanding. You know, sometimes we think our, we have purpose in life, and then we have, when we go through things like this, we really know we got purpose, right? When we feel like our life is being taken from us, then all of a sudden, uh, who we are, what we're about, becomes really in our face, doesn't it? And we truly find out purpose, uh, that I have purpose in this life. And it's not for nothing, it is for something, right? Yeah. Yes, you got that right, honey bun. And then, um, and so... You know, one of the things that I love is the fact that uh, when we think about uh, this day right now, because uh, baptism is truly about, one of the things the scripture says it's about is when, when destiny is going to go under the water, the scripture says it's like she is dying to herself. But when she comes out of the water, it's a symbol of her being 
risen and rising to a new life. See? Well, she could say that to her literally, right? In that sense, but it is literal spiritually, but it's, only, it's literal, literal, like your body too, right, isn't it? They brought me back to life. I got that right. All right. And that's, so we think of destiny being baptized. And you've got to love her name. When we talk about all this stuff, you've got to love the name. And, uh, and so, you know, it's her destiny to be here this morning, isn't it, honey? Yeah. And to give her life to Jesus completely, recognizing who he is and what he's about. You know, because I can remember even the first time you came here to church with your mother. Right? And yeah. you could say, well, maybe I, you know, whatever. I'm in or I'm not in. I don't know. But then something changed, right? Yes, I know. And so now Jesus becomes like super real. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you got that right. All right. So I tell you what, Eddie, for more. Let's do this. Now, who's going to help me? Somebody going to help me baptize you? I want my mom. Yes, you want your mom to help you baptize you, right? Oh, that's outstanding. So come on, here's Helen right now. So we're going to move over to the baptismal. Got a towel? Uh -huh. mm. Hold on, hold on, honey. Wait a second. Okay. All right, go ahead. Stand right over here. Stand right here. Okay. You know, this by doing this, you know, we're doing something. That's uh, anybody who needs to see over there, too, you can get up from your seats if you want to see. I don't mind if you want to get up from your seats. It's okay. A lot of people here, a lot of people came to support her. I want you to make sure you can see what's going on. You know, we're enacting something that has been in the church since, you know, day one of the church. Right? People being baptized into their relationship, you know, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is what's going on right now. And so... This is an ancient thing that actually has present-day <laughs> significance. No, ma'am. I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna have you do. I'm gonna tell you exactly what to do right now. Okay. Right. And so I'm just gonna ask you. you know what to do? I'm gonna ask you to sit back. I just want you to sit backwards. Just sit ahead and sit. And your mother and I are gonna put you under the water. You just sit like you're gonna sit. There you go. There you go. So destiny. Now we baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, honey. You got it? All right. You okay, okay? All right. All right. All right. There you go. All right, love you. All right. Come on this side. Come on on this side. Come on, Helen. All right. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's right. All right. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, you can sit back down. You know, uh, what's going to happen now is here, what we do is, not only in terms of do we enact, as I said, an ancient tradition that has present day um, circumstances, present day significance, but, um, but it is... What we'll do is, now in terms of the vineyard, what we like to do is, Destiny's being taken to back. She is, uh, so there's some people back there who are going to be praying with her. 
actually. So what we do is we take those who are being baptized to the back, and, um, and they lay hands on her. In the scripture, they talk about laying hands. And the people will be praying over her. Uh, they'll even be, uh, for some of them who are very gifted that way, maybe hearing something for God, from God for her, uh, you know, these type of things. And to bless what God is doing in her life and all that God is doing in her life. So that's what's happening right now, uh, besides getting dried out and, re, uh, and putting clothes on. Okay, so anyway, kids, you can go to your, um, to your classes. The rest of you can stay here. All the kids and their teachers, you can meet in the hallway over here. And uh, why don't we go ahead and transition that and put that video on, and then we'll get started. actually a lot, quite a bit to do with what we're talking about this morning. You're just going to have to wait to the end to find out what that is. But nonetheless, you know, this morning what we're going to do is, we're trying to do is to recognize something that is, I believe, so very significant, really, to our living out a life of faith, basically, in Jesus, and really what that means to our everyday existence, you know, and that is God... Uh, knows me, that God knows you, you know, uh, who I am, where I am, and what he's doing with me, you know, at first glance, I think for some of you, I think that's so obvious, of course, or maybe rudimentary to some extent, uh, yet at the same time, it is when we truly get a grasp, a hold of it, understand what we're saying by when we say God knows me. It is profound. It's life-altering, and it's ultimately comforting to know God knows me. You know, He knows all about our lives, what we will encounter, who we will meet, what we are doing. 
And really, with this understanding, when we truly have the heart of that understanding, we can move forward always in confidence. No matter where we are, no matter what's going on in our life, we can move forward. Not going backwards, but go forward and with confidence. Why? And as a Francis Schaeffer once wrote this, he said this, we have returned, and what we're doing is we're returning, he says, to a personal relationship with the God who is there. He is the God who is there. No matter where there is, He is always there. Is what he would say in a great book called The God Who Is There. As a matter of fact, that's what it's called. And I believe Andrea is going to come up and she's going to read for us this morning. So why don't you come up here and out of a great story, it's one of my favorite uh, encounters in the Bible, out of what's known as the book of Acts. Uh, so let me give her our attention. Good morning. Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This was a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with his scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Great. All right. Why don't we uh, pray before we get into it? So, Father in heaven, we just thank you that we could be here today. Lord God, in witness of what you're doing, Lord God, particularly in an individual's life, uh, like destiny. Lord, we, like even like this uh, Ethiopian eunuch, Father, rejoice right now, Lord God, seeing what you're doing, Father, in her life. And, uh, and right now, too, Lord God, we just give you ourselves that we might see what you have for us this morning. That our hearts, uh, Father, would be receptive, our minds would be open, Lord, I ask right now, and even our bodies attentive to all that you have to say. So we invite you, Lord God, even right now, to even speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 
So why does it matter that God knows you? Why does it matter that God knows you? And uh, really what we see is that anything that may happen to me, really, he's already been there. Anything that may happen in my life, guess what? He has already been there. You know, as vineyard people, those who are visiting us, not knowing maybe the vineyard church very much, but, uh, you know, our perspective of things like, um, you know, telling other people about Christ or or going away to other countries or doing that and telling people about Jesus. When we talk about these things, we we don't see it as, and I, I think it's an error to see it as, we are bringing Jesus someplace. Like we can pack him away in a suitcase. You know, like we're packing the things in our suitcase. Oh, let's pack Jesus in there. So we're going to bring Jesus with us, kind of thing. Actually, our perspective is, is we're going there, wherever we're going. I was a missionary for some time, traveling out through the uh, Dominican Republic, still are to some extent, as we have missionaries in the Dominican Republic right now here. And we don't see it that way. What we see is, let's go there and see what Jesus is doing. Let's go to this place, let's go to that place, and let's go see what God is doing there, and let's join Him in what He's doing already there. He's there way before we get there. Okay. And that is our perspective, and I love that perspective because I believe that's the biblical one and the right one. But in Acts chapter 8, it says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, uh, the desert road that goes from down from uh, Jerusalem to Gaza. We were just in Jerusalem, matter of fact, and I think we know that road, actually, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out on the road, uh, and he started on his way, and he met an Ethiopian eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, you can ask somebody to your left or right. If you don't know what a eunuch is, in other words, it means more than he just cannot have children. There's a reason why he could not have children. Okay. And uh, basically, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem, though, believe it or not, to worship. You know, uh, I believe this is just a great encounter. I mean, if you have time this week, and I know you do, <laughs> take it out. Read, get, open up your Bible or get a Bible and read Acts chapter 8. Just great. But there's a wonderful encounter between the lives of two people here. And... Philip, who is Philip? Philip is, what is a, um, what's known as a Grecian Jew. He's a Grecian Jew who came into faith in Jesus, becomes a believer in Jew. Went to mean a Grecian Jew. means he was not born in Palestine. He was not a Hebraic Jew. He was not, not a Hebrew. He was Greek in that sense, but he was Jewish. Okay? And, so, um, and, as, and as such, basically, and I was a believer, the, the apostles, the guys who are the closest to Jesus, 12 and after that, 11, who were real close to Jesus. They're, they're forming the church there in Jerusalem. And, uh, and they're having a problem because, well, you got a lot of poor people who are coming and they need to be fed. And so they appoint Philip as one of the ones who are going to feed the poor Christians, those who were poor, who had no food, uh, their, 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 their daily distribution of, of food. And that's what he was, that's his job. His job was to, to feed the poor Christians there in the church in Jerusalem. But what happened was a physical persecution uh, broke out there in Jerusalem that affected the Grecian Jews. So in other words, what happened was there was a guy named Stephen, and he was a Greek Jew who became a believer. And then what happened was they rounded him up. They didn't like The Jews didn't like him. So what did they do? They stoned him to death. 
And so after that, they really felt their oats. And so what they did was they, they, they said, oh, so you know what the problem here in Jerusalem is? It's all these, these Greek Jews here. These are our problems. So they actually started to arrest them, put them in jail, or kill them. And so Philip, he has to run away. So Philip, being a Grecian Jew, had to get out of there. He had to skedaddle. He had to hit the road, if you will. The Ethiopian man was a eunuch, which meant, of course, that he could never be, in terms of the law in the Old Testament, as a eunuch, he could never be a part, ever, a part of the Jewish nation. He could never be a part. The law says, if you're a eunuch, no, you cannot become ever a part of the family of God. In other words, of, of the, uh, in Judaism, you cannot be part of the family. You cannot be part of the Jewish nation. Yet, at the same time, even though that was true, he was a seeker of God. He sought God, and there was, of course, something he saw in Judaism that he saw this one true God. And so he truly was a seeker of God. He wanted to know God for real, you see? And so he finds himself in Jerusalem worshiping, it says. God, in other words, was tapping this Ethiopian eunuch on the shoulder. Here he is, is he's seeking God because God is tapping him on the shoulder. You ever have somebody tap you on the shoulder, right? You can either ignore it or go, what is going on over there? What, 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 you know, so. Do you think um, God knew what was going on in these two men's lives? Seriously. Do you think God knew what was going on in their lives, where they came from, what was going on with them? Do you think God knew what was happening with them? You know, uh, one was considered, Philip, second class. In his society, he's considered, in the Jewish society, he's considered second class. Even though he was Jewish, he still was considered second class because he wasn't, he wasn't a Hebrew. He was Greek. And so he's considered second class. Um, the other, basically, was rejected by the religious establishment. They wanted nothing to do with him. One is considered second class. The other one, he's rejected by, his, uh, by the people there. Yet despite the absurdity of their lives, God was there in their lives. Even though their lives were absurd, and we consider their lives absurd. Who, this is an absurdity in terms of their life. God was still there in their lives. Though he could be, have been seen basically himself only and through the eyes, he could have seen, Philip basically could have seen him, his life only through the eyes of other people and how other people, through his own eyes or through the eyes of other people. Okay, well, I'm not much. I'm kind of second class. And really, the only job they gave me is serving on tables. That's it. That's all I can do. I just do serving tables. You got some people who need to be fed. You know what they do? Okay. I'm not one of the big 12. I, you know, I don't speak to anybody. I don't talk to anybody. I don't lead anybody. You know what I do is I just take some food. And I put it on the table for some people. That's all I do. You know? He could have seen. That's it. But God saw more. God saw more for Philip than how he saw himself, possibly, or how others might have seen him and reflected, specifically how others actually would have seen him. The Ethiopian was seeking after God for real. Matter of fact, in Jeremiah chapter um, 29 it says this it says you will seek him and find him when you seek him with all your heart you will seek him you will look for God and you will find God when you seek him with all your heart the Ethiopian was seeking God for real God knew him knew his heart 
And God also knew his questions. God knew him, knew his heart, and knew the questions he had about God. About his own life. The why of his life. Why did this happen to me? Why was he a eunuch? God, I got questions. How could this, these things happen in my life? Yes, I'm seeking after you. I'm looking for you for real. So God knew him, knew his heart, that he was a true seeker of God. He wanted to know. And God knew his questions. You ever have questions for God? Okay. The next thing you see is those questions, though, in his life, the next thing you see is those questions being answered is what you see next. He has questions. God knows him. The next thing you see is, yeah, those questions, God's answering those questions. Can you believe if anyone knows you, it's the one who created you? Can you believe that? That the one who knows you best is the one who created you. Who knows you best? God knows you better than your mother, knows you better than your father, knows you better than your husband, your wife. You see, the one who knows you best is the one who created you. I mean, think about it this way. Everything we, everything we see, everything, people we know, everybody's been created, everything has been created. The chairs you're sitting on, the, the, the building we're in, everything, is, everything has a creator, right? A manufacturer. In other words, a person who makes a machine knows not only what the machine is supposed to look like, they know what the machine is for. What's the purpose of me making that machine? They know why they put the lever over here as opposed to putting it over there. Why they put the button here as opposed to putting the button there. An artist, when they paint the painting, he knows why he's painting the painting. Why did I paint this painting? Okay, because why did I put that little swash of color over there? Why didn't I put it over? Why didn't I just put it over there? He knows why he put it over there as opposed to putting it over there. The artist knows. Everything has a creation. Everything has a creator. Everything is, is created. Why can't we believe then that therefore life, the earth, universe, everything has a creator. Everything you know has a creator. Why? Because something didn't come from nothing. It can't. In all of your experience, that is true. Nothing cannot create something. Something creates something. We just happen to call that something God. Matter of fact, psalmist, the psalmist in Psalm 139, he says this. He says about God, he goes, he says, you made the delicate inner parts of my body. He says, you, God, have made the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. 
Thomas knew, it was God who created him. Saw, as the one uh, verse, uh, the one uh, translation says, he saw my unformed body. He saw my unformed body. Saw my unformed substance. Put me together. He's the one who knit me together. And that's why when we think of the laws just passed in our own state concerning things like uh, abortion and things like this, you know, I, I wish these guys would read something like that. And, but anyway... You know, God knows, uh, you know, God knew you'd be here this morning. Because that's true. See, God knew you'd be here this morning. And, uh, and he's tapping you on the shoulder, basically. And to some extent, he wants to answer your questions. And he is answering your, some of your questions. He knew you'd be here. See, I, I believe this all my life. I was not somebody who was a person of faith at one time. I didn't come to faith. I didn't come to faith in Christ. Until I was in my mid-20s. I was 25, 26. I had a lot of questions. I grew up in the church, but then I rejected it. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus then. I could care less about God, particularly through my college years. I thought I was too smart to believe in God. That's the truth. I graduated pretty high in my class. thought, forget that. I want nothing to do with it. But as I like to say, something happened on the way to Oz. <laughs> something happened on the way to Oz, and then God shows up. God shows up. God does his thing. You know, next thing you know, you go from not believing and not caring about anybody but yourself So all of a sudden, you care. All of a sudden, you have love for people that before you could care less about them. That's the truth. I'm telling you the truth. That's why Christianity is not a natural event. It is a supernatural event. It's something that happens to you from outside of you. It's not a natural event. I just somehow attained some knowledge to something. And now I go, oh, yes, that's right. No, that's right. Okay, right, right, right. Now I'm a Christian. Right, exactly. No. It happens to you. God does know you. And he sees what is going on in your life. And how much you need him. He sees every bit of it. And that's why, in terms of our last point this morning, what he does is God makes divine appointments for us in our life. God has divine appointments for us to keep, as a matter of fact. You know, my wife um, is someone, you know, no matter where I go, uh, somebody knows her. I don't care where we could be, somebody knows her. 
And that's the truth. I mean, I, and I found that out. I found that out from just about day one that we were married, and that's the truth. You know, down in Florida, we're on the line for this big, huge line. I'm telling you, we're like the sixth in line. There had to be like 10, 12 people behind us trying to get a rental car while we're down in Florida there. I don't know if it was our honeymoon or not. I can't remember. My wife would probably tell you. But uh, we're there, and, and uh, this is very typical, basically, of my, my, uh, my relationship with my, my wife, Patty. And then all of a sudden, I hear from way in the back line back there, Patty Divine, and she and uh, and she'd be turning around and say, Patty, and this person be come running up, you know what I mean? And you know we're in Florida, and I have no clue even where we are yet. See, somebody knows my wife. My wife, uh, my wife's maiden name is Divine. She's a little upset that she had to give up the name Divine uh, for Federico. <laughs> you probably would too, I guess, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, uh, but I can remember, and one, well, actually, I can remember, actually, we were up in, we used to hike up uh, Mount, um, we used to hike up in Mount Beacon, or we'd go up to Breakneck Mountain. This is back in the old days, back in the 80s, back in the old days. That's how I show them how old I am. So anyway, back here, we'd go up, and this is when no one would go there. Now, we have tons of people are there, but this is back in the day when no one was there. And I used to actually have a backpack in my back. I put, actually, communion elements in the back. We'd go hike up, and we'd have communion on top of the mountain as we overlooked the river or something, you know, this, this great view up there. But we'd go up there, we'd go hang out. And, then I, and I'd love to do it because why? Because it was an isolated spot. It's kind of isolated up there, just the two of us, you know, looking at the river, you know, hanging out, you know. And next thing you know, and, and then all of a sudden I'd hear from the woods over there, Patty Devine. <laughs> and here come these two people walking. <laughs> I, can't even up, I can't be up on top of a mountain by, my, by ourselves and, and somebody not recognizing my wife. You know, in Acts chapter 8, verse 30 and 31, it says this, Then Philip, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, reading out of the Bible. Do you understand what you are reading? He, Philip asked this guy, this Ethiopian. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in that chariot. You know, I've learned a long time ago that uh, God is often found sometimes uh, in the most curious places of my life and some of the most inconvenient of times. You know, sometimes when I feel like I got no time. <laughs> you know, it's in, I'm being inconvenienced in some way. God, for some reason, is there during the, some of the most inconvenient times of my life and some of the weirdest places uh, that I find myself, uh, he is found there. Particularly if I have, if I can recognize that as being God. Those times of interruption, those being in a place where it's something out of the ordinary. And all of a sudden, I can recognize that's just not something that happened out of some happenstance, or, you see? But actually, wow, could that be God? You see? Recognize it as God. If I have eyes for it, you know, it cannot be ignored, really, that Philip was somebody who truly, truly loved Jesus. Philip, when you read about Philip, he truly loved Jesus. And you know what he also did? He had a real heart for those who were marginalized in his uh, society. Probably because he himself was marginalized in his society. And he had a heart. He loved Jesus. He had a heart for the marginalized uh, people within the context of his 
of his own society, and he wanted to see others come to know Jesus the way he knew Jesus. You see? This is Philip. He loved Jesus, had a heart for the marginalized, and he wanted other people so desperately to know Jesus like he knew Jesus. And so, therefore, he sought the Lord no matter where he was. You know, Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 and 5, it says this. Now, those who were scattered, and I talked about how they were scattered because of the persecution, being a Grecian Jew, they were scattered. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, the Messiah. That's the word, Messiah. Christ and Messiah, same word. Who's the Messiah? Jesus, who's going to come what? And make what is wrong right. Take what is dysfunctional and make it functional. Take a creation that has gone awry and set it right. That is the Messiah's job. That's what the Messiah came for. That's why Jesus dies on the cross. Start, and that whole process starts with you and I. He starts with the individual, our lives that are full of dysfunction, separation from God, trying to find purpose out of purposeless things, satisfaction out of things that will never give you satisfaction. And he changes all that, gives you different eyes, different purpose, new hope, and not out of just saying, well, we've got to have hope. Okay, what does that mean? Hope in what? A new law? Someone contriving, someone shucking and jiving me as if they truly love me or just making it up, just tolerating me, just, oh, yeah, let's, we should tolerate one another. Toleration, love is what we're looking for. I'm not looking for toleration from you. Don't insult me. The Messiah comes to make all that right. That is why Jesus has come. My life in dysfunction. Your life. Looking for purpose out of relationship. Stuff that will come and go. It'll be here and gone. You put everything in that basket. The problem with that basket is it can be taken away. Looking for your peace in your circumstances. But when you look at it in your circumstances, those circumstances can change. Then what happens to your peace? Where did it go? It falls to pieces. As opposed to the one who created you, knows you, knows the purpose of your life, knows what life is about. It's not a hope that's just aimless. We should have hope. What does that mean? Aimless hope? You see, Samaritans, these people that, that, that uh, 
Philip goes to these Samaritans. They're a marginalized group. It's no surprise God sends Philip to the Samaritans. Why? Because in their society, in their context, the Samaritans were hated. A marginalized group. So who does God send to the Samaritans? Philip. And for what? For what? Why did he send him there? To demonstrate and proclaim this life-altering relationship with the Messiah. He listened to the Lord. And so, therefore, he encountered the Ethiopian and could see that God knew this man and knew his heart and knew his questions. And so in Acts chapter 8, verse 36, it says this, as they, were tra they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. There was a divine appointment for them both to keep. There was a divine appointment God had set up for them both to keep with one another. God was already at work and was confirming he knew this man and he knew what he needed. A new life, new hope, purpose in his life. And comfort. And the comfort that comes in knowing that God knows me. The comfort that comes from knowing God truly knows me all about me, who I am, where I've been, where I come from, where I'm going. And Philip, because he was confident God's knowing who and where he was, could see what God was doing. And you know, in a typical, I mean, that typifies what Jesus said in our last scripture this morning. John chapter 3, verse 7 says this. It says, the wind, the wind itself, it blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. That God, for those of us who have faith and put our faith in Christ, have his Spirit living in us. That it's the Lord who blows us places. We find ourselves in situations whether we think they're good or not. Philip, he was running away from persecution. Finds himself in Samaria, finds himself on the road to, between Jerusalem and Gaza. And then someplace else, kind of blowing him all over the place. For what? For what reason? The wind blows. You, you, don't, you, you, can see, you can see the wind. You can't see the wind. You can only see the results of the wind. You see the leaf blowing. You see it moving. So you know the wind is there. You can't see the wind. You just see the, you just see the leaf blowing. Or you see the tree moving. Or you see whatever. You see the results of it. So Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. 
So it is with everyone born of the Spirit of God. In the situations you find yourself, whether it's sitting next to somebody at class or whether you're you know, at work, all of a sudden somebody comes up to you and starts interrupting you at, at your job or, or something else happens, you're on vacay and, and next thing you know you're traveling in a plane and you have to sit next to someone or you're on a bus going someplace or whatever. All of a sudden, see, the wind blows you where you go. You find yourself where you find yourself. Next thing you know, there's divine appointments to keep. All of a sudden, you find God is doing something in one person's life, and God is doing something in another person's life, and he made an appointment for you. If you would just recognize that to be the case. And that's why I say, you're not here by accident this morning. Let's take a look at our action steps today. And uh, on the back of your connection cards, these things, you can see a little thing that says action step on the back. You can agree with it or not. You know, it's up to you. But, uh, and this is our action step. You know, one of the early mottos of this church anyway, this vineyard, uh, was this. A ship is safe at harbor, but that's not what ships are for. In other words, you know, a ship is built, it's created, you know, but not to sit at harbor and just kind of like take in all the supplies all the time. <laughs> and get, get, get resupplied and just get, get, you know, get bigger and bigger and bigger from supplies, you know, and, and this kind of thing. No, a ship is not meant to be at harbor. Actually, a ship is meant to do what? Sail. A ship is meant to sail. For the wind to be in its sails and to move. You see? So consider how God truly knows you. And that in seeking him with this understanding, he gives purpose in every moment of our lives as the God who is there. You can agree with that or not. And uh, our Helen and uh, and some would like to collect those from you, but that might you can include that as part of your intention this morning. And what we can do is stand up as we dismiss. We're going to dismiss right now. And as I said before, um, you know God is here now. He is the God who is there. He is the God who is here. And, uh, and this is what I would like to offer you this morning. And just like that uh, Ethiopian, you know, maybe you're someone, you came here this morning, and, and you say to yourself, you know something, you know, my questions have been answered. My questions are being answered even right now. My questions are being answered. And matter of fact, even to satisfaction, and so, um, and you say to yourself, you know, I'd like to have this relationship with the Lord, just like this Ethiopian uh, eunuch, if you will. And, uh, and, and just like that, you say, well, there's some water right there. And that water is going to be there all morning and the rest of the morning. So maybe you find yourself like that Ethiopian and say, well, there's some water. Why don't I just take the opportunity right now and just go ahead and say, all right, God. I give you my life, and I give it to you permanently and forever. And not just part of me, all of me. And if that's you this morning, come talk to me. There's the water, and we can do it today. All right.
The other thing is some of you guys may have felt a bit marginalized in the sense of where you've been, what's been going on in your life around you. You feel a bit marginalized. You do not have to be or feel that way. Why? Because God sees, just like with Philip, he sees more in you than maybe you might even see yourself or others are reflected to you. And God wants to answer your questions. And he also not only wants to do that, he actually has divine appointments for you to keep. Now the question is, Will you have eyes enough to see them? Maybe you're someone who says, I want to have eyes to see the appointments God has made for me in my life. You see? Maybe that's you. I want to offer you prayer this morning. And so um, there's going to be myself. There's going to be some people here who have prayer team badges on. And so when I go to dismiss everyone, I just ask that you would um, leave quietly. And those who want prayer, I would just ask that you'd come forward, stand right here in front of me, and we can pray together. And, um, and of course, there's something happening downstairs that Helen's telling me there's food downstairs, so I won't keep you long in prayer up here. <laughs> I'm pretty hungry myself. No, actually, I just... Anyway, uh, speaking of feeding the poor, we have to go out and do that today. My home group is going and... Uh, Going out and uh, going up to Poughkeepsie, taking food up to Poughkeepsie. As a matter of fact, a bunch of people. So we may not be eating food, but we're going to be delivering food. But, um, but anyway, if that's you in some way, please don't leave. Because why? In terms of before getting prayer. Only because, see that Ethiopian? He was wise. He did not wait. He did not hesitate. He didn't wait for a better moment. He said, okay, right now. So if you're getting that tap on the shoulder, do not wait, do not hesitate. Okay, now pray, let's dismiss. Please leave quietly, say downstairs. You can go downstairs here and, uh, out to your right. There's stairs going downstairs. You can go around the outside, be cold and go outside and go around. But however, there's food downstairs there. Let's pray. So Father in heaven, I thank you for what you're doing here this morning. Father, to each and every single one of us, that you are, Lord, you are showing us you are truly the God who is here now. And you're always where we are when we give our lives to you. Lord, you have cocooned us and assured us with your love. So no matter where we find ourselves, in what circumstance or whatever is going on, Lord, you are there with us. Help us to truly recognize that always, I pray now. So we give you ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen.